Something has happened that is causing the dead to rise and attack the living. In Wisconsin, a small group of survivors has taken shelter in a mall as the horde of the living dead continues to grow. Can they stick together and form a plan of escape, or will they be consumed by the dead? How did Zack Snyder, of all people, successfully remake one of the most revered horror films in history? Find out as we dig into the 2004 remake of Dawn of the Dead. I'm Connor Izagari. I'm Josh Allred. And this is Filmgasm. Happy Wednesday, everyone. Welcome to episode 137 of the Filmgasm podcast. Today, we're diving into a remake that doesn't suck, Dawn of the Dead. We've yet to tackle any of George Romero's zombie films, though we have done The Dark Half and I did Creep Show solo back in the early days. So I'd say we're overdue. Uh, I acknowledge that it's weird we didn't do the original film on the podcast first, but that's not really one of our rules. We like to do franchises in order, but remakes are fair game whenever, especially when they're timely like this one. We're only doing 2004's Dawn of the Dead now because Zack Snyder has another zombie film coming out on Friday, Army of the Dead. Uh, I, yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's high time we, we tackle Romero. It's weird, 130 plus episodes and we haven't really gone into the dead movies. I mean, I, I feel like the book is, was being very stingy in the, in the early days and not really throwing out one of the seminal horror movies in, in all of film history. And I mean, obviously I'm talking about Night of the Living Dead and how that movie essentially like changed the, the landscape of horror movies. And not only that, it also gave rise to one of the best independent filmmakers in all of film history and one of the best American directors in all of film history. And other than maybe like Lloyd Kaufman, like George Romero is one of my favorite, favorite American directors all time, hands down. He's one of the best. Yeah. Straight up. Yeah. No argument here. Um, it is weird that, you know, the book gave us two of the Exorcist sequels and we never got like we get the dark half was a book pick, though. So it was it was getting we were getting there. It's actually been a while since we picked from the book. We've been doing a lot of timely uh, horror films. And next week is also a timely one. If you've been following the movie calendar, you know what it is. Uh, but before we do that, let's uh, let's talk the rewind. I got one quick update. This one updates our sixth episode on Pet Cemetery, where I single-handedly went into both the 1989 and 2019 versions of the film for a whopping 25 and a half minutes. We, those early episodes are such shit. Like I, I can't wait to redo those and actually talk about those films properly. Oh man, I got a great story about uh, the uh, the OG Pet Cemetery. Um, if I get to, uh, if I get to do that one with you, I'll definitely, uh, I'll definitely share it. Hell yeah. Awesome. Paints, paints quite the picture of my childhood. I'll just put <laughs> it like that. Color me intrigued. Yeah. I'll remember that. Um, Lindsay beer script revisor of chaos walking is setting her directorial debut with the new pet cemetery film ordered for Paramount plus. 
Beer has been attached to a number of in-development projects, but her only actual project to date is writing the 2018 film Sierra Burgess is a Loser. Uh, the new Pet Cemetery might be a prequel, but sources are now saying it's a sequel. Who knows? It's a mess, and they clearly don't have a lot of faith in it, considering their Helmer is an inexperienced nobody who the article I read uh, said she wrote Transformers the last night. And I looked at her IMDb and she was nowhere near that film. So I don't know <laughs> what the hell that was. Um, I don't think we need this. I don't know why Paramount Plus is, we just had a pet cemetery that sucked. So I don't know why we need another one. I, I mean, as with most things, it's just lazy. I don't, and that's the only thing I can, that's, that's really the only way I can, I can put it. I feel that the idea of going back into that well is interesting enough. Uh, however, if you're not going to come with something already, then I don't, I, I just don't see the need. I, I really just don't see the need. Um, as far as like Stephen King stuff goes, I don't know how much you really um, watched Castle Rock. But for me, I see, okay, so I didn't finish the second season, which I'm still sad they canceled it. However, I I really enjoyed the way that they were able to work in a lot of very popular, you know, King works and package them in a different way. And it was very very like i wish they could have had a season where they incorporated pet cemetery and that would have been amazing um so unless you have an idea unless you have a new way to approach something then i don't i i just don't see the need for it it's just a waste of time in my opinion that could be going towards i don't know here's a crazy idea something new and different and original yeah, but new and different and original does not put subscribers in the pocket, regrettably. You need a recognizable name. You need a franchise that people love. And I guess Paramount Plus is doubling down on Pet Cemetery for some reason. Uh, when they could, I mean, there's a number of unproduced Stephen King work that would definitely draw a crowd. But they keep, you know, just recycling the same stories. You're, it's just going to end up with, you know, another goose egg. And nobody wants that. No, absolutely not. And that's that's always been my biggest gripe with mainstream quote unquote Hollywood stuff is that they always they're always motivated by money instead of you know taking an approach like Blumhouse or an, another smaller uh, independent distributor production house whatever they get a couple of million bucks together they focus a lot on making sure what they have story wise is good shocker and then they and then they give somebody a, a chance i mean at most you might not make all of four million dollars back and if you don't you're not really out that much but when you come and you stink a, a huge chunk of money and then you, like you're just not going to be motivated to try it again and i think if they were to kind of try and stick smaller and then see what happened because yeah i mean i think the idea that Indian burial ground um, is there, there. There's lots of different things to, to mine out of it. Um, and what a lot of cemetery dealt with, you know, loss and grief. And that question, would you do it? And I think 
I think there's an interesting, for lack of a better word, there's some interesting ground to play in. And it, uh, it, it's just so frustrating. It's just so, so frustrating. So frustrating. And it's just like, why? Why? Well, now that we know that they're not, you know, putting it in the names of like in the hands of somebody who can like, you know, create something, they're just kind of throwing a script revisor who wants to make a movie onto the set here. Like they clearly don't give a shit about the quality of this product. They just want it. And that, that just proves to me that nobody cares about this project. So why, like, why am I going to care? True. True. Although I will say when I watched starry eyes, which um, the filmmakers for the pet cemetery remake had made before I was cautiously optimistic and I was like, okay, so, so these guys can actually create something that's really dreadful and really unsettling. So let's see what they do. Quite why they went in the direction that they went in. I, I will never know. And I, I think it lacked the punch when they did what they did with, you know, making one of the most intense and gut wrenching scenes in in a horror movie, especially now that I'm a parent, like, and then they just flip flopped it and turned it around. And it didn't even, I don't think it landed in the same way that it did in the, the first one. However, maybe that's a movie that inspires somebody to go on and, and make something. And if it does, sweet then i think the filmmakers accomplished their job as far as that goes i will say they definitely missed the boat and they should have sprung and just kept ramones music in that movie i liked the ramones in the fucking in pet cemetery so why not keep them because that cover is no i don't like it i i love the ramones song i kind of like the cover that was the only thing i really took away from the new one was not bad. Um, to me, I, I personally think they've never they've never gotten the book right. I think the '89 one's okay. The 2019 one's not great. They both have a serious pacing problem and just don't capture the tone that I imagine from the book. That's just me. No, no, I yeah, no, I I I definitely get that. I think i think the for, for me like the, the problem with the original is that it doesn't i feel like it doesn't stick with within lewis as much as it should i feel like you know it's not as close to him and i get it you know you're trying to have a family you're trying to have all these characters live and breathe um yeah like there are just there are just parts of that that like just didn't really do it for me so but as, as as if I get the opportunity, like there's a there's there's a reason why that movie stuck with me, um, and probably because I happened upon it when I was a kid and at, a, at an age I should not have seen it. I'll put it like that. Um, okay, hell yeah, I'm gonna whenever we get around to doing Pet Cemetery, I'm gonna make sure it's with you because I want to know this story. <laughs> uh, yeah, so new Pet Cemetery coming for Paramount Plus because. I guess Star Trek isn't enough for some people. They need more content. So here we go. Uh, moving on. So obviously, Dawn of the Dead is big potatoes in the horror community. And I know it's a big favorite of yours. With that in mind, what are your immediate thoughts on the remake? 
So when I first saw it, I was, I was entertained and little, no, I was being conditioned to see things the Zack Snyder way. Uh, kind of like how James Gunn and his writing style and his directing began in Slither. A lot of the trademark moves of Zack Snyder were, were, were really put on display. And I've got my gripes about it. Um, what I think does, and, and I probably will give slightly more of an edge to James Gunn in this regard is how he managed to write a movie that is different than the Romero version, but also managed to hit some of the same notes that Romero's movie did. It's not as, at least I don't think it is, as heavy on the social commentary aspect of it. Um, a lot of these things are kind of hinted at. It's not really overt, whereas Romero is literally having his characters say the words that is in that is in Romero's head as he's writing this movie. And I don't I think it's more of a visual. It's it's handled more visually than it is um with Romero and like actually having the characters say the things that they're saying and the way the action unfolds. Um and it it has a very um video game like quality to it. And I had to kind of double check um which came first. Was it this or Dead Rising? And this came two years before Dead Rising. So but I mean I saw it in a theater. I was twenty one when it came out. So obviously like I was still in film school. It was really hyped up on oh my God, somebody remade Dawn of the Dead. Like part of me was like, well, um, it can't be as good as Romero. Sure, I'm probably not going to like it. And I left it going like, eh, not bad. Got an appreciation for James Gunn. Uh, I mean, obviously I'd, I'd, I'd already liked him. You know, we got Slither a couple of years later. So it's like, all right, you know, this was kind of almost like, I mean, Saw came out that same year. And so we kind of, we're getting a new, era if you will for lack of a better word of horror coming out and so i was I'm, you know happy about it is it my favorite movie no not by any stretch yeah i get that um going back to Zack snyder's uh, version of this film kind of being more visual over substance that's kind of been Zack snyder's go-to he's very much a flash in the pan director a lot of it a lot of visual like a lot of stunning visuals, but very little to say. And to take the, the subtext out of Dawn of the Dead does, I think it does lose a little bit, but for what he is making, this could have been so much worse. Like it's an entertaining film. And the fact that we even got an entertaining film to me, I, I, I'll take the win. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think, I think there are a lot of good things going for it the fact that this movie kicks you right in the teeth and doesn't stop is to its credit. I think if, I think if he would have tried to recreate what Romero did, I don't think it would have worked. Yeah. It, it probably would have been a lot worse. So I think what he did and what we got 
is one of the better horror remakes that come out as far as like as far as which one i prefer between the tom savini directed night of the living dead and this savini's wins out that's just me though i've not yet seen savini's night of the living dead so i i can't argue that one yeah it's um so uh romero wrote it and it's kind of like it's kind of like him um taking another swing at it barbara's character is is vastly different than what she was in the first one and there are a couple different tweaks um i think i think it kind of lacks the punch that the ending of romero's had um but it still hits a lot of those same notes and there's just really great practical effects in it um yeah i really like it sweet my family does have it, so I have like I could watch it whenever I want. I just haven't. <laughs> a lot of those movies that I just have immediate access to, and it's just my lazy ass not doing it yet. Um, so Dawn of the Dead is Zack Snyder's debut film as a director. Uh, he would follow it with 300, Watchmen, Sucker Punch, Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, Justice League, and Army of the Dead. He's very much a love him or hate him filmmaker when it comes to his specific slow-mo color tone style. And looking at that filmography, he's, he's more missed than hit, I think. Uh, he has this fan reverence about him that I'll never understand. And I, I like a few of his films, but I would never consider him like one of my favorites. No, because for me, like you said, he's, he's hit or miss. And I think when... And and maybe it's because I went to film school and you know, like you, you watched a lot of movies and you kind of, you kind of tend when you, when you see a director have a certain style and it is the same in all of their movies and you start to pick up on it, then you start paying attention to that more than anything else. And I had to make a note of it five, six minutes in, you're already getting your first bit of fucking slow-mo and i just like damn it like five minutes you can't even give me 10 minutes zach you can't even restrain yourself for 10 minutes you're already doing and then and then i literally caught myself waiting for these moments where it was going to happen and it just happened like so much i was just like okay dude i get it you're you're trying to be dramatic and it's not really working bro you gotta stop this but obviously he doesn't because he can't hear me talking to him through a movie. Whatever. I'm uh, I'm cautiously optimistic about Army of the Dead. I would like a let's say five year break from Zack Snyder after all the shit from DC. I would just like to not hear about him for a while, which would be nice. But I'll see Army of the Dead and judge that accordingly. I think I think the characters are interesting enough that I hope they are going to be what really carries that movie through. I mean, Dave Batista, he's really kind of become like a favorite of mine, just like certain things, certain things. I, I know he's kind of riding in the wake of the rock and, you know, like, you know, wrestler turned actor, that kind of deal. Um, 
And he, I mean, he really surprised me when he was Drax. So I know the guys got some real good chops with him. And the fact when I saw him in the trailer for Army of the Dead, I was like, all right, all right, I'll watch it. I'll watch it. Fine. You got me, Zach. You got me. And Zombie Tiger. Like, <laughs> yeah. The big thing I want answered is why does like a billion dollar heist matter during the zombie apocalypse? Like, is, how is how is money even? like important anymore isn't the economy dead when the like when the zombies come so I, I, I'm, I'm interested to know like why is this heist even happening that's true that's true I hope they have a good explanation for that uh, the film was written by James Gunn who we recently talked about in our Slither episode and I would I think he's a big part of why this film works so well I think you know his snappy dialogue really helped uh, ground this film I think I think the only gripe I have is that there were too many characters and I you you didn't get enough development out of all of them. Like some of them some of them were kind of just there to serve as some kind of vehicle for the character that came out of it like the the one that the pair that I'm thinking about right now out of my head is um Matt Frewer um and his daughter you know, like he's literally just there to die and be a sympathetic character so that, you know, his daughter can grow up and be tough, but really she doesn't even really get that tough. But um, so, yeah, like it just kind of felt like there was just too many going on. Whereas what was nice about Romero's and I'm, I'm really going to hold back on comparing so much, but the only thing I will say is like what really worked in Romero's is that you literally had four people. That was it. And that for me really allowed you to be with those people and get to learn them and know them. And that made them infinitely more uh, sympathetic. Whereas here, those four are kind of broken up and are pieced out into the other, um, the other characters in this. Yeah. But I argue that, the first Dawn, like the original Dawn of the Dead is more character driven. And I feel like this film is more plot driven and the characters really kind of just are there. Most of them to die in horrific ways. Uh, but you know, there's an argument against that too. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. Uh, let's talk about that cast. Oscar nominee, Sarah Polly plays Anna, a nurse. She was nominated for, her, for an Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay for 2006's Away From Her, which she also directed. Uh, some of her other performances include Mr. Nobody, Splice, and the miniseries John Adams. And I think she's one of the weaker links of this cast. Uh, I don't really buy it. Like, I think, and it does come from that like lack of development thing. Like, all we know about her is that she's a nurse. Like, there's not really anything else that we can attach to her. You know what I mean? Well, I think, again, I think, and, and this is in stark or actually in direct conflict with how fast the movie starts and how I like that. I like that it really just get you don't get a lot of time. I think, I think you're meant in the opening to get that she's a pushover because the doctor is literally just like, you know, very dismissive and like, okay, let me know. But, but sir, I've been here for 14 hours. Yeah come back and find me in two more hours, whatever. And that I guess is supposed to be all you can get out of it. Um, it's 
to me, it's just not enough. And then even when she does like, you know, essentially um, nut up and get ready to, you know, put her on her big girl panties. Like it just, it doesn't, it doesn't feel as like, as like much of a change has gone on as like there should have been because I feel like she's supposed to be a meek character who finds her strength and then is able to be super assertive. And I think the only, there's only a couple of times where I really bought it. And a lot of that had to do with her interaction with Ty Burrell's character, Steve. And, and those two kind of played off of each other, but yeah, I get what you're saying. Well, there just doesn't seem like there aren't really any scenes where she is a pushover after the zombies come. Like it does establish that she's a pushover, but as soon as the zombies come, like she starts, you know, she stitches up the wound. She becomes kind of their doctor. She tells Michael, like, you're going to shoot him, shoot him. Like she kind of nuts up pretty damn fast. Like there's not really any room to evolve as a character. She just kind of flip flops immediately. Well, I think the fact that she is a nurse, um, the few nurses that I've known in my life, they are really conditioned to respond and, and be able to uh, just, I guess, focus on the problem at hand. And, Cause immediately once um, I, don't, oh, I can't think of his damn name, Ving Rames, his character's name. Um, when he, yeah. Can, when he cuts his arm, that's all she's staring at. She's like, got to fix that. Got to fix that. And then you actually see that one moment where she does have a minute to herself and she does break down. Yeah. I think, I think that's a very real thing that a lot of um, healthcare workers go through, especially nurses and, and those people that deal with like the, the trauma and the ER stuff, those folks and, and EMTs and, and the like, I've heard some pretty terrible stories and those people have some pretty great ways to adapt. A lot of it is with some serious gallows humor um because the and i get it i use a lot of humor to face up to terrible situations myself and i think you only get brief moments of that i don't think like and i think that comes from there being so many characters like some of them yeah i can understand them you know just being there as meat for the grinder but it's also it's also kind of counterproductive when you're trying to, to develop some characters and really make them strong. I did like that bit where she does break down and kind of for just a moment realize, you know, she lost her husband and shit's about to, you know, shit's over. There's so, I never see that in horror films is, you know, grief, like mourning. It, they move so fast that like, you don't get, you don't really sit to see characters kind of mourn the lost ones. So it was interesting to see a movie like, you know, this kind of go there even briefly. And I did appreciate that. Um, Ving Rames plays Kenneth, a cop. Some of his other roles include Pulp Fiction, Bringing Out the Dead, Piranha 3D, Lilo and Stitch, and the Mission Impossible franchise. And I will never not love Ving Rames. This dude's a badass. Uh, awesome that he kind of led this you know, this movie, in my opinion, I thought he was great. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think, so I think um, watching him in it, like you really can see the differences in somebody who can really um, use very subtle ways 
to convey emotion and changes like that. Because at first he's, he has a very singular focus. I'm going to my brother, I'm going to Fort pastor. I'm going to my brother. And then he realizes like crap. They see me as a police officer. I have to, I have to watch out for these people now as much as he doesn't want to. And he tries a few times just like, I got to get out of here. I got to go. And by the end of it, I mean, I was really like, I, I really, he, he's definitely one of my favorites in this, in this movie. And unfortunately when he first, when he first popped up and he put the shotgun on Anna I I wanted to I wanted him to say uh, I have the meats because he, he does the voiceovers for Arby's and I, I I couldn't I couldn't help it I wanted to, I wanted him to I wanted him to say it I wanted him to say it I'm sorry <laughs> fuck you Arby's you have fucking tainted my experience with Ving Rhames how dare you oh my god <laughs> I that, to me I just see Marcellus Wallace. Like I kept waiting for him to, you know, just, you know, shoot a zombie in the nuts and say he's going to go medieval on his ass. Like I was waiting for that, but you know, as much as that would have been amazing, we did not get it. Uh, <laughs> Jake Weber plays Michael, a TV salesman who kind of becomes a leader in a weird way. Uh, Weber has appeared in such films as Meet Joe Black, U Five Seven One, Midway. Those Who Wish Me Dead, and he played John Campbell, the corrupt governor of Wyoming on Hell on Wheels, which is who I'll always see him as. And uh, I completely forgot that he was in this when I watched Hell on Wheels. He was such a piece of shit. I wanted him to die so bad, but nope, never did. Uh, he's an interesting character, Michael. Uh, we get a little bit of backstory in him. He used to be married. He used to have kids. But he kind of gets like thrown to the side for most of like the second half of the film until really the end. Like the, you know, it shifts focus on some of the other characters and I would have liked a little bit more development on Michael. Yeah. Like, so that whole dinner scene that they have and like, that was where I was just kind of like, I can't do it with this guy anymore. Like I just, <laughs> I get it. He's supposed to be the reluctant hero. You know, Kenneth's always asking, you got a plan? <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing right now. Um, almost like he's surprised at when he is assertive that he can actually do things. Um, up until the end where, you know, he gets bit and he's like, you got to go without me. I'm like, dude, just, just put the gun in your mouth already. Like, and he did, but you know, it, I, I don't know. I, I kind of wanted a little bit more out of him and I kind of wanted him to kind of find his feet and just go with it. And I think he was just very, uh, very scared. And I, I just don't think, which maybe that was what James Gunn wanted um, because how many of us can say that they would have the capacity to completely go against our nature and take on whatever that situation is in front of you. Like if it was me, I was like dead people like, what? you know, and, and I'm sure there would be part of me that would be like, Oh, I've been waiting for this. Who knows how long you can ride that adrenaline and smash brains and whatnot. 
it's just weird to me that the cop would look to the Best Buy TV salesman for leadership, like in any situation. <laughs> like they wanted Michael. Michael wears so many different hats. You know, he's the reluctant leader. At one point, you know, he's the dangerous, trigger-happy, crazy person when he almost kills uh, the, the one girl's dad. I forgot names. But it's just... I feel like nobody knew like nobody knew who he wanted to be, so he was everybody. Yeah. Um Mackay Pfeiffer plays Andre, the baby daddy to be, who makes some increasingly bad decisions. Some of his other films include Eight Mile, Shaft, I Still Know What You Did Last Summer, the Divergent series, and he played Gregory Pratt on 135 episodes of ER. And uh he's good. I think his I would have liked to have seen more between you know my girl's pregnant to my zombie girls having a zombie baby i feel like they rushed that pretty quickly i would have liked a little bit more development on that front yeah um and so i actually had to do a little digging because i wanted to try and figure out how long they were actually in the mall and for all intents and purposes it's supposed to have been like a month that they were there all together and with how fast things go, it's like, you have no idea. Um, and they really had an opportunity to, I mean, and, and I guess maybe they did because when a woman is like seven, eight months pregnant, it doesn't look much different than when she's full term, nine months pregnant. She, she would have been the perfect, um, the perfect gauge for how much time had passed. Yeah. And I think, if there would have been a way to figure that out. I mean, again, a lot of this works visually. So by the time you get to that point, you see a lot of empty, rotten ass food cans in there. And you're like, Oh, how long has this been going on? So, you know, a a lot of it is working on a visual level and which is fine. Um, You know, I don't like to be spoon fed information. I think it's kind of insulting as a viewer when, you know, I, I get it. A lot of people nowadays have shorter intention spans. I'm guilty of it from time to time myself. However, if I'm watching a movie, I'm paying attention to the information that's being put to me on screen. So yeah, it, it, it was a little, was a little hard to pin down how far that went. And I think again, you only get so much, you only get so much. You could see that he's really scared and has no idea what he's going to do but you also see that he is very quick to shoot first and ask questions later. <laughs> yeah. He kind of snaps. Uh, Michael Kelly plays CJ head of mall security. Kelly's perhaps best known for playing presidential aide Doug Stamper on house of cards, but he also has appeared in such films as man of steel, chronicle law abiding citizen, changeling man on the moon and unbreakable. So he's had a pretty decent career and, uh, I, he was one of my favorite characters just from the get go. We're thinking like, Oh, he's the bad guy. He's a complete asshole. But then at some point he has a complete like, you know, 180 and gives his life for the team. Like that's great. I love little arcs like that. I think he's got a decent little arc. I think they, you know, they skip a little bit of development in the middle, but that's kind of, you know, everybody in this movie, you've got to take what you can get. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I, I hated him right from the jump as far as that goes. Um, He's a him and him and his butt boy Bart are like total um, 
just total jack-offs. They are completely scared and totally unprepared to confront anything. So what do they do? They lead with their guns to show how big their dicks are. And oh, by the way, they're, he like CJ also makes it a point to be incredibly racist at any chance he can get. And I'm just like, how did, did he not get his ass beat? Like so much sooner, so much sooner because you could see it on Kenneth's face so many times. He's like, seriously, dude, what is wrong with you? I'm like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, he's, I think he's, you know, he's an example of the guy who has been waiting for this forever. You know, the guy who's happy that society is broken. So now I get to be a dick. Carte blanche. <laughs> so, and I like that he, he, kind of, he does kind of, you know, walk away from that a bit and realizes, you know, I got to be a team player or I'm going to die. And he does get a nice little, you know, fuck you to the zombies in the end. It's- yeah. Yeah. I actually, I actually made a note that he was the kind of person that was waiting for something like this to happen. So he could, you know, fill the void and, you know, just order people around. And I, I, I think he comes to a realization that he has no idea what he's doing and there's no way he can make it out on his own even though even though and 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 this was reluctant because i found myself a couple of times when i was first watching it was just going like yeah okay he does make some sense right there um because he's saying the things that nobody else wants to say out loud that was that was another thing that i i feel james gunn did really well is he he kind of has certain lines through CJ that is like the audience saying those certain things because everybody knows, you know, we are conditioned on horror movies and whatnot that like, you don't let new people in. What is your problem? You start opening those doors. There's not, you know, there's no telling what else is going to get through there. Yeah. I see this guy as like a, a Negan in training to go like to take it to the walking dead. Like if unchecked, this dude's going to end up being like a warlord with a fucking harem in the end of the world. But also, you know, I was a big fan of house of cards. I really like Michael Kelly as an actor. So that also might be why I just like this character. Cause I like the actor. Uh, but yeah. I, I think he's one of the solid characters who actually gets some like real development here. Sure. Um, I also made a little note that he is like the Cooper of this movie. Um, Cooper being the uh, the old white guy in Night of the Living Dead, oh, yeah. who comes to a head with Ben, who is essentially Kenneth, and you know those two are always button heads, and yeah, like it, like he he especially echoes for me Tom Tolles, who plays Cooper in uh, Savini's Night of the Living Dead. I got to see that. It <laughs> man. It's it's so good. Both of them. Both of them, obviously. Uh, Ty Burrell plays Steve, the dick. Burrell is known mostly for his role as Phil Dunphy on Modern Family, which won him two Emmys. Some of his film roles include The Incredible Hulk, Finding Dory, Muppets Most Wanted, National Treasure Book of Secrets, Black Hawk Down, and Evolution. Uh, I never really watched Modern Family. I saw a couple episodes. It was all right. I never really bought into the, how crazy the fandom got on that one. Uh, I love him in this. I think this is, this is my favorite Ty Burrell because he's just an unapologetic piece of shit. Yeah, and he's and he's the kind of person that 
you grit your teeth and deal with because, and he knows it and he knows it because he has something that you need. And the only way he's going to let you ride on his boat is if you kiss his ass. And it's just like, you're just like, motherfucker. And it's brilliant. Again, James Gunn's writing when they're on the, when they're on the roof and he like tells Anna, he's like, sweetheart, you have my permission. I turned into one of those fucking things. Blow my fucking head off. <laughs> and she's like, no problem. Yeah, noted. <laughs> God. And then makes good on it. And, you know, I love that bit when he crawls out of the buzz and he's just like, like I, that's, you know, I, it's cool to see Ty Burrell get to be a zombie. And that was nice. Yeah, yeah. And it just like, he he serves his purpose. And it's it's definitely one of those like really satisfying because I remember when I first watched it, it was a really satisfying moment. You're just like, yeah, fuck this guy. Like, <laughs> yes, yes, Andrew, take his boat. Fuck you. <laughs> oh yeah. Um Kevin Zegers plays Terry, the nice security guard. Zegers has also appeared in such films as Aftermath, City of Bones, Zoom, Transamerica, and get this. The first four Hair Bud movies. So I didn't know we were dealing with such an acting powerhouse. I know. I go like you know, Golden Receiver and Seventh Inning Fetch. Are you kidding me? Like, I don't. I've those movies have always been so goddamn confusing to me. <laughs> I only ever saw Air Bud, so the fact that you've seen more than one, I bow to you, sir. I've seen none of them. I just know about it. Oh well, fuck you. I take it back. I have no interest in watching a dog play football. <laughs> no, it's all about him playing basketball. That's where it, that's where it is. The one I do not understand how it could possibly go down is baseball. <laughs> like, how does a dog play baseball in any capacity? I, oh, these fucking movies. There's like nine mm. of these things. Now they're like puppies helping Santa Claus or some shit. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> Kids are stupid. They'll watch anything. Yeah. Pretty much. Uh, <laughs> Terry is just kind of there to have the brief romance with Nicole and it doesn't really go anywhere. He's just there to, you know, be the good security guard who helps them get uh, CJ and Bart taken care of. Uh, never. He's all right. Uh, Lindy Booth plays Nicole, an idiot. Booth has appeared in such films as Wrong Turn, Cry Wolf, Kick-Ass 2, and the TV series The Librarians. And her decision-making is astonishing. I mean, what she does to get the dog back, even though it's been established that zombies aren't going after the dog. Like, oh, my God. Yeah, so I have no sympathy for this woman whatsoever. Yeah, I, she was definitely, she's definitely used in a way that got fans involved because I still remember when watching when i watched in the theater like there were always people yelling when she was going to do something like just stop what is wrong with you are you fucking stupid like it just she's just it's sad what happens to her you know like she lost everybody and now she found a dog and she immediately attaches to the dog and then you're just like oh shit she's got terry she doesn't care about terry it's all about I would, chips. I would see. I'd get it if the zombies were, you know, hungry for dog. But it's 
it's very well established. They don't give a fuck about the dog. They want every, they want the people. So chips was fine. (laughs) Yeah. If she just thought for a second, a lot of people wouldn't have gotten killed and they wouldn't have had to beeline it out of there in their escape plan immediately. They would have had time to prep for this shit. Ugh. So Dawn of the Dead has an IMDb score of 7.3, Rotten Tomatoes score of 75%, not bad. It grossed a whopping 102 million on a budget of only 26 million. A lot of horror fans consider it acceptable, which is high praise considering the shoes it's trying to fill. So, yeah, you know, for what it's worth, not bad. And uh, 102 million on 26, that's pretty good. That's a huge return. I mean, I remember I remember when it came out and I I was not expecting a bunch of people to go see it. And when, you know, you start seeing those kind of returns, you're like, "All right. I I don't I don't get it just because of where I rank it amongst you know, Romero's actual work. However, when you consider who else's career was kind of kickstarted by this, um, makes sense. And I mean, love him or hate him, this kickstarted Zack Snyder's career. Um, did it kind of set the groundwork for him being, for him being a pretty, uh, predictable filmmaker in terms of his style and stuff yes um i i mean the guy has done something right if he's been able to keep a career this long and make the movies that he's been able to make so what do i know that's true but just some about this guy i just feel like he hasn't earned the reverence and I'll never get, I'll never understand that part of it. Like the, when the Snyder cut thing was happening, fans were like, finally his vision come to light. And we're like, what, what are you talking? Have you seen his movies? Like this dude is fucked up three times when it comes to this, the DC. Like, why are we keep giving this guy like so much, uh, you know, slack? <laughs> I don't know. Whatever. Dawn of the Dead's decent. I like Watchmen and 300's a good watch too. So there you go. Um, so let's discuss the film, uh, some highlights. I think the opening scene is, is pretty great, uh, showing kind of the end of the world and the zombie apocalypse from the perspective of one person. And then kind of just, you know, showing the, like the world and how it's gone down. I think it's pretty, pretty sweet. Well done. Yeah. And like I said, it really, it really kicks right, kicks you right in the teeth and, does not stop after that. Um, I really, I really admire that it started on one person and then right as Anna leaves her house, it goes into a wide shot and you see just her block and you're like, what the, like it broke down that fast. Shit breaks down that fast. Um, The camera work all straight up GTA style with the camera being mounted on the back of the car and you kind of, you know, you get that fluid. The only, the only thing I hated was when it kept getting intercut. I'm sure there is, you know, a very valid reason for it, but I wish they could have choreographed it enough 
where they would have just followed her and everything's unfolding in front of her. I really liked that. It gave it a, it gave it as more of a uh, frenetic sense of what's going on um, all the way up to um, the overhead stuff. And so here are some little Easter eggs, the truck that comes across her and crashes into the gas station. That was a nod to night of the living dead where Ben and Barbara had met and he talks about how he saw a truck crash into a gas station. <laughs> so there's that the helicopter is the actual, you, you don't get to see the lettering, but it's the exact color of the uh, news helicopter that they escaped in. So boom, there's that. Um, I mean, and then you've got cameos of course, um, which like I was so happy <laughs> watching Ken Forey say yeah. that shit again, right on the big screen. And I'm just like, he's He's going to say it. He said it. Fuck. Yeah. Not only that, not only that, he actually played because one thing I've always loved about Ken Forey is how he can be simultaneously lovable, but also be a huge prick, like right in the same breath. Because like, I'm thinking about um, him and Dawn of the Dead, him and From Beyond, you know, he's, he's like a really like lovable, like you, you just like, you like the energy that he brings. He's going to be like, he's like the kind of guy you could just be friends with. And then you see him in this and he's a fucking hateful ass televangelist who is you know wearing the big pinky rings and you know exactly what kind of person he's portraying and he's just listing off all these terrible things that we as a society have done to get us to this point all just to lead up wonderfully to those damn words which is like yes <laughs> so satisfying so satisfying oh it's fantastic i we get that, you know, we get him, we get old Tom Savini, uh, the guy who played Roger. Scott Reiniger. Uh, yeah, Scott Reiniger. It's just cool that they had, you know, the movie had their blessing for them to come back and do this. That That's pretty sweet. Well, um, Richard Rubenstein was also a producer and he worked with George Romero um, quite a bit too. So he helped produce this movie. And I think I'm Romero himself said he was, he was actually rather impressed with what they did. Um, and I think if you've got the man himself kind of tipping his hat to you, you've done something right. Yeah, absolutely. And there's no more room in hell. The dead shall walk the earth. I couldn't, I couldn't keep going without having, without saying that. <laughs> I was, I was, I was going to say it and I was like, yeah, you know what? I'm just, um, I'm not going to go there. Um, I'll go there. <laughs> uh, so what do you think about the zombies being like super fast now versus the traditional zombie? Um, I don't think you could have had this movie with the slow creeping death style zombies that Romero had made so famous. And it's, I mean, I, I know it's kind of a, uh, a preference that some people have and I, I enjoy I enjoy those version of zombies more. I think, I think what they do in this, it makes them a lot more dangerous and it makes everything, every decision you make 
that much more important because if you fuck up, if you can't get that door closed, you're going to be eaten. They will get you. And I think as a device, it, it works. Um, it also was um, something that's been copied, you know, like and this is where this whole debate between fast zombies and slow zombies kind of really had a, a more of an impact, even though th- th- this was nothing new. I mean, return of the living dead zombies can run after you and, and get you. And that was fucking 1985, 86. So they definitely weren't doing anything new. I just think the way they were used, they reflected with the style of this movie. Because as much as this movie is a horror movie, it's also got an action framework within it. So you you need you need an antagonist that's going to match with that. True, true. I don't really have a preference in regards to, you know, fast versus slow. To me, it really all depends on the film itself and what you need. Uh, my all-time favorite zombie movie, probably 28 Days Later, and you need the, the fast zombies for that. And you could argue infected versus zombies. I don't give a shit. To me, they're zombies. Uh, so, yeah. I think it's just it's all about the film. Certainly. And, and I think... I think one of the one of the other things that was nice about this is that they they never explain even casually like where it comes from and I think I read somewhere that James Gunn was kind of treating them almost like a supernatural thing kind of like with vampires you know yeah. you get bitten you're infected and that's just kind of how it how it is and it's easy because if if you if once you operate under that premise and it was something that I mean, I, I noticed it the first time I watched it, but then as I was watching it again last night, I saw it and I was like, oh shit, okay, okay, okay. Because when that group first gets into the mall and they have the tussle with the the other security guard zombie, you you just barely see it, but you see Luda cover her arm with her sleeve very subtly, very subtly. You don't even really notice it. And then, of course, Andre checks her and he's like, oh, damn, you got bit. And you're just like, oh, shit. It's that little bit of dramatic irony that really works. And it culminates in the best homage to a Peter Jackson movie that had been done to that point. And if you haven't seen Dead Alive, a.k.a. Brain Dead, you got to. Those two, those two early bad taste and dead alive, hands down, the some of the most outrageous and gross movies I've ever seen in my life. Like fucking especially dead alive. Like dead alive just keeps going and going and going and going and going and going. And it just culminates in one of the most outrageous finales in a in a movie ever. It's great. I've seen clips from Dead Alive, but I've never seen the full movie. Uh, yeah, I've, I'm waiting for the podcast to lead me there and it, it'll, it'll happen. I like to save my first reactions to a lot of films for the show. And that's one of those films. Yeah. And, and, you know, um, I told you before we recorded that I heard you talking about, uh, the Lord of the Rings episode you did with Austin for Oscar Sunday and you threw it right out there. And I was like, exactly like this guy 
was all about what he calls his quote unquote naughty movies. And the fact that the fact that even then, like you could see that this guy knew how to use a camera. He knew how to tell a story and he knew how to have fun. And a lot of those things still carried through into his other films. I mean, the frighteners is a really fun film and it also like manages to make you care at the same time. And then he goes and fucking just makes, you know, I, okay. I'll say three of the greatest movies. Cause I don't know how much I really love the Hobbit movies, but yeah, we don't fun. lump those in. <laughs> they're fine. They're, they're, they're fun, but the Lord of the Rings I mentioned in, in our Oscar Sunday to me, they kind of transcend cinema itself and they're just kind of the Lord of the Rings. Like there's no really nothing comparable there. It's just its own thing. So yeah, the fact that, you know, a notable horror director is behind that. Pretty sweet. <laughs> uh, I love the, um, the opening credits set to Johnny Cash as the man comes around. That was so perfect. It's one of my favorite Cash songs and just, it works. It's such a joyous end of the world song. And just, you know, spliced with the news footage. I, I was like, this is, this is sweet. Like I can tell that they really wanted to do their own thing here. They weren't trying to remake Dawn of the Dead so much as they were doing like, you know, reimagining Dawn of the Dead. And I appreciated that. Yeah, I actually, uh, because of that movie, I bought that album that Johnny Cash put out with that song on it. That's awesome. And like my grandfather, uh, my dad's dad had um, introduced me to some older country music and like Johnny Cash was one of them. And I had, I had gone to see them when I was still in high school in Arizona and like I picked up on some stuff and then when I got that album I burned it and I mailed it to him and he actually like he really liked it he was like this is pretty good like I was not expecting Johnny Cash to still be making good music at his age but he still is doing it I was like yeah exactly oh man to me like the later years Johnny Cash was his best work there's some about the heartbreak and the age that like brought a whole new level of pain to the music that I, I love the American albums are fucking art. I, I have American six, ain't no grave on, uh, on vinyl. I'm trying to track the rest of them down. It's not easy. I mean, he, he really like, he really went on quite a journey. Like when, when he started out, he was, pretty damn punk rock if you think about it like going straight to Folsom prison and getting a bunch of prisoners riled up all while like flipping the bird to the warden it's like you just don't do those things and you don't especially do them when you know like you're at fucking Folsom like San Quentin like come on man like you don't you don't fucking do that shit but he did and he got away with it because he's Johnny fucking Cash like the guy partied with Elvis and Roy Orbison and was you know, doing shit that nobody was really thinking about people doing back then. But the fact that he made it through all of that and then continued to um, challenge himself. I mean, he covered a fucking Depeche Mode song and Nine Inch Nails in that one album. Like, how do you do that? And not only that, he made a song about doing heroin, like beautiful and 
something else. Like he made it his own. And I was like, it's very pleased with that. And it's all thanks to fucking Zack Snyder wanting it in this movie, along with the Richard Cheese song, by the way. Oh those were like God. those were like the two songs that Zack Snyder was like, I want these in this movie. And the studio was like, Yeah, we don't really want them in the movie. He's like, I want them in the movie. Like they work. And I'm not gonna lie, that Richard Cheese song comes at the right time in the movie because of what comes before it. You're just like, how the fuck do you manage to release the pressure? Okay, this is what you do. You get lounge music coming through of a fucking terrible ass new metal song. And <laughs> I was just like, all right, fine, fine. Let's God. do it. I love Richard Cheese, by the way. So fucking lounge against a machine. Yeah. I think we all can appreciate some Richard Cheese, <laughs> but yeah, it is. It does weirdly work in the film. He was right. And it, it does leave the pressure and you get the, it's kind of a, you know, living in the mall montage song that works. Yep. And I like we do get the real version at the end. <laughs> God. Um, Tom Savini's cameo is cool. He's the sheriff, you know, saying like, you know, you got to shoot him in the head. You got to shoot him in the fucking head. Like, yeah, to hear it from him, of course. <laughs> if anybody's going to tell you how to do it, it's going to be Tom. Straight. <laughs> okay, so I just realized this. That also has um, an echo to Night of the Living Dead. Because towards the end of Night of the Living Dead, they're interviewing um, the, I don't know if he's like a sheriff or kind of position he holds, but he's essentially with that mob of people when they're burning all those zombie bodies and he's doing it on the news. You're just like fucking coming full circle again. Here we go. So that just popped into my head. That's awesome. Yeah. Clearly this was made by fans of people of the original movie. Like they wanted to do homages. They wanted to do this right. And I think it's funny that that Pet Cemetery update coincided with this week because it really is kind of a, you know, right and wrong juxtaposition of how to do a remake, how not to do a remake. It's things kind of work out on this show like that a lot. It's nice. I think I think if you're going to do it, like you have to be conscious of how you go about it, because it can it can go really wrong and you can have all the best intentions of trying to treat it like a cover song and make it your own. Like I'll, I'll use that analogy for Dawn of the Dead. It's a good cover. It, it, it hits all the, it hits all the notes that you want. You know, you got Ken Forey coming in there on the TV screen saying, saying those words. And, um, you know, you, you've got these moments, you know, they're at the mall, they're doing their, they're doing their thing. They've got their little moments. Um, Oh, also speaking of homages, um, the Galen Ross store. Yeah. Like, come on. <laughs> um, and you, you might not have picked up on it, but um, when they're doing the interview with the scientist on the TV, he's using the same lines that the reporter, or I don't know if he was a reporter, or if he was another doctor, but basically the, the lines, the, you know, the people they kill, get up and kill. That was straight from Dawn of the Dead. Romero's Dawn of the Dead. So it's just like, as I'm hearing this, I'm like, yeah, okay. They see like, they're just, they're picking these sweet moments and they're just sprinkling it in their little stew and they're letting it come up and it's enjoyable. Yeah. It's pretty much, I know I use this example all the time, but it really is to me like the perfect, you know, 
union of great horror movie and decent remake is Fright Night. I, you know, adore Fright Night. It's my all-time favorite vampire movie. It's a 10 out of 10, perfect, awesome movie. And I didn't have high hopes for the remake, but the remake did its own thing. It, you know, it balanced people's love of Fright Night with trying something new. And we got this kind of awesome film that works. It's not Fright Night to me, but it works. So we get, we get those occasionally. And it's always nice to have kind of two, you know what I mean? Like, we, it's very rare, but we do get it sometimes. Absolutely. Uh, I love that zombie guess who game they're playing on the roof where they tell Andy like, all right, Jay Leno. And he just finds the Jay Leno looking zombie and blows his brains out. <laughs> yeah, I really, and, and this is just cause I'm, I'm a terrible human being. I really wish they would have dragged that out a little bit longer. Um, the Burt Reynolds one, like that might've been one of my favorite looking zombies. Just like, Oh, Oh, Burt Reynolds, Burt Reynolds. And you're just like, fuck, like, that's a that's the kind of game I would fucking not. Yeah, I'd probably be into that, you know, because what else are you going to do? Yeah, I I wanted to see what the Rosie O'Donnell one looked like. I know. <laughs> I know. They probably would have gotten in trouble because Rosie O'Donnell does not like to be made fun of. I think Burt Reynolds likes it either, but here it <laughs> Burt is. Reynolds can, Burt Reynolds can laugh about it. He's, <laughs> you know, he didn't give a shit. Um, yeah, that 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 whole sequence was great, and on on top of that, it was also um, setting up something that paid off later with how um, Andy and Kenneth are exchanging messages on the dry erase boards, yeah. and it comes back, and that is the sign of a really good writer, and it's it seems like such a throwaway thing. But then it comes back again and, and it really has an impact because it says so much with just a little bit of blood smeared on that thing. Oh, shit. But it also says something about the zombies, too, that they have some level of thought in their heads and that they're not just these brain dead eating machines. There's there's something in there. And I think that that definitely. um you know, you, you definitely wouldn't have gotten that with um, a Romero style zombie, even though, you know, the zombies do, for lack of a better word, evolve throughout those movies, you know, culminating in like one of my favorite zombies of all time, Bub, and what he does. So, yeah, that's um, it's a it's a really nice touch, really nice touch. And that's definitely. Um, again, I'll give the edge in credit to James Gunn. Zack Snyder had to put it on film, but had to be on the page. Of the of Romero's zombie films, Day of the Dead is my favorite one. And it is mainly because of Bub. <laughs> I just love this zombie who shoots a guy. And it's it's so satisfying. Oh, it's gonna be nice. Uh I got that one coming in the mail. I haven't watched it in a while. Man, I love I love that movie. Like those three, those three movies might be my favorite trilogy of movies even though they're they're only connected thematically you know like there's no like characters going from each movie it's it's more of a theme and i think that is quite interesting because romero stumbled onto something when he made night of the living dead 
I mean, he's famous for saying he didn't cast Dwayne Jones as Ben because he was black. He cast him because he was the best actor. Like literally out of everybody in that movie, he was the best, most accomplished actor. And I think because of how Romero shot that movie and and what the subtle things that went in there, whether, whether they were intentional or not, like the way that movie played out, it, it hit like that. And it also happened to come out at one of the, you know, in 1968 so like yeah it, it fucking has and re- okay the thing i really love about dawn of the dead it's the last time i talk about it because i want to save it for now is like that movie still makes sense today and day of the dead as well like all of these movies those three still have something to say to this day and probably will because humans are stupid and we're doomed to repeat ourselves yeah a damn shame but yeah you're right those three films are very provocative and i i think that's you know one of the one of my favorite things about them is it's almost like romero was trying to make socially conscious movies that just happen to have zombies in them and i think you know so do you consider like night dawn day its own trilogy and then like land diary survival its own trilogy so i i don't i don't consider the last three to be any country and really like i've i've only watched uh diary and survival like once um it was really hard for me to enjoy diary of the dead because it just something just didn't really work for me with it um and i I definitely want to revisit it survival of the dead kind of just Again, it it just didn't hit with me, I, and I you know have to rewatch it to find out what Romero was really trying to do with that. I think what I think what always felt so bad for me about Land of the Dead is that it it was the last studio movie Romero ever touched, and it has some great moments in it, but it also shows you why Romero was so fiercely independent and why he stayed away from studio money as much as he could because they never left him alone. They always felt like they knew better than him. And it's like, you have the man who single-handedly revolutionized independent film and zombie movies and you're telling him that you know better like fuck off there are still things about land of the dead that i like a lot and again it's it's these like timeless themes that romero works with and how he manages to have the zombies function as a metaphor um but yeah like those first three are definitely like the cream of the crop in terms of Romero's like out and out like horror movies. Um, Martin is definitely in there. Um, Monkey Shines is different. It's, I like it, but it's also like, it's kind of, it's kind of hit or miss. In, is that a like, uh, new one out yet? The amusement park like that they've been. That's like, coming out next month on Shutter. It'll be out next month. And I, man, I really want to, I really want to see that. 
um, from the early reviews I've heard or, well, not reviews cause I'm trying to stay away from that stuff, but with the things people are saying about it, it just sounds like what you would expect from, from Romero using a horror movie to talk about something. And the fact that he made it in like the late sixties or seventies, something like that. And he's talking about ageism and, and that kind of thing. It's really quite interesting. And yeah, I am totally looking forward to it. Sweet. Yeah. I'm, I'll be sure to check that out too. I'm sure that'll find its way onto one of these podcasts at some point. Um, the zombie birth is a scene that's kind of famous from this movie because it's, you know, in 2004, that was like, what the fuck? People were not expecting that. Uh, got toned down significantly. They wanted to actually have the baby like devour the mother from within, which yeah, that would have been tough to pull off in 2004. I don't think the MPAA would have been happy about that one. Oh, uh, no, no, they definitely wouldn't have, wouldn't have let that one go. But what they did do is pretty horrifying. Uh, you know, Luda gets pregnant, or is pregnant, gets bit, becomes uh, turned during the birth, which is just, and Andre just has her chained to the bed and has told nobody. Like, has nobody checked on this woman, like, ever? No, like, he's been he's been like so overprotective the whole time, and and you only get it in that one scene where he's out there getting trying to find the lemon stuff. I love how they're. <laughs> so I don't know if you found this in your facts or whatever, but um, I also found out that they wanted to have Starbucks, oh yeah, as the coffee company, and then Starbucks like, no, no, we're not doing that. So it's literally just like lemon stuff, and how about this vanilla stuff? And we're just like. All right, whatever. But yeah, it it really it really is like one of those scenes where it's just like, dude, it's it's literally it's literally the visual uh, representation of somebody standing in a house that's on fire and they're going like, everything's fine, it's fine, everything's fine. <laughs> oh, that poor guy. I mean, it's not like anybody could have done anything. But still, if there's, you know, a zombie pregnant woman who's about to birth a zombie baby, you need to tell people. You need to let the team know that shit's about to go down. Uh, Jesus. But that visual of the zombie baby is going to stay with me. That's just it's it's so real. Like, is that a puppet or CGI? Like, how did they like what is that? I think I think the reveal is CGI, but I think they might have had a puppet. Um it's it's just it's so it's just so frightening because you think it's over and 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 then it's not and you're just like oh no like this is really gonna happen isn't it it's really and i'm i'm i I was ready for it i was like yeah let's do this come on just just get it and then it happens and you know like you know in your head you're like dude you can't you got to be the one to stop this, but you know, he can't because he already had, you know, said to Kenneth, he's like, I'm, I'm here to bring this baby on this earth, you know, and he's taken this so literal, like come hell or high water. This baby is going to be born. Even if it will try to gum me to death, like, (laughs) 
would that like how would that work like i i would have i was going to say like the only thing i would have changed i would have had the baby bite someone but the baby didn't have teeth how would that have worked exactly oh shit <laughs> however it is also covered in mom's zombie blood so if somebody's got an open cut maybe you know maybe it happens that way or who knows i mean i don't know if you've ever held a baby babies can have razor sharp fingernails just saying does that work like zombie rules can they scratch you and you'll get infected by this movie standards no however we never see that we only see that bites do it so because i know that works in some movies with werewolves but i've never seen a zombie scratch like work not that i'm aware of and then, okay. and then we get, so if this movie had Joe Bob's style drive-in totals, this movie would have gratuitous slow-mo shooting. And this movie at that point gets the gratuitous slow-mo shootout between the old lady and Mackay Pfeiffer's Andre. And oh, it's just like, God damn it. Like <laughs> that old lady could take some bullets. Like she was you know, know. fucking old west sheriff down there like that was crazy yeah yeah i was actually waiting for like smoke to pour out of her gun her bullet holes like the fucking the caseworker in beetlejuice just waiting for all the cigarettes she smoked you know (laughs) nice yeah that was just crazy that he was willing to kill for this baby that's dead like at that point like, what is there left to lose? Why Why do that? Why go for that? Like, there is, there's literally, like, you literally have the evidence that this did not turn out well, my friend. Pretty sure the bad thing happened. Like, <laughs> you, you have to, you have to be the one to take matters into your own hands. And coming from a father... I, I understand the, the mindset behind it. However, reality is staring you in the face and it has dead, lifeless eyes and not that pinkish baby glow. It looked rather green. It's Jesus. not something you want to just, you know, swaddle and cuddle. Oh, God. Yeah. I like that's kind of a wake up call for a lot of people in that movie. Like they all kind of realize like, damn. And I would have liked to have seen more of Anna's reaction to shooting a fucking baby in the head. I feel like that's not easy to do. So, I mean, I'm not a parent, but I feel like you don't have to be to understand that that's not good. And um, I would have liked to have seen Anna kind of wrestle with that decision a little bit, you know, or, or at least just the aftermath. Yeah. The after, like, that's what I mean. Like after, after doing it kind of be like, Holy shit, I just murdered a baby. (laughs) Like, I mean, it's a zombie baby, but it's still a baby. Yeah. yeah. See, I feel like they miss a lot of opportunities for some, you know, some real fucked up conversations that we wouldn't get anywhere else. I mean, it's not a lot of movies where babies get shot in the head. (laughs) Nope. Because you're not supposed to do that, even though, even though uh, George Romero did have some kids get shot up zombie kids get shot up in dawn of the dead i know but that is that scene is edited within an inch of its life so you don't see really anything you just see like a gun kid fall over gun kid fall over you don't see shit hey power of suggestion baby that's the coolest shove effect right there i'm pulling out film school terms on your ass 
it's implied as fuck, but you're just like, you're still going, oh shit, they fucking killed some kids. Oh my God. Yeah, I just, I get why, you know, it's 1978. Still need to, you know, still can't do that. You still can't do that now without some heavy editing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the the Andy subplot, I, I, I get why it goes the way it goes. I was hoping to meet Andy before we lose Andy. But, you know, the way it goes, I did like the, you know, zombie holding the board up covered in blood. That was a little, a little goofy, but I, I, I liked it. So I don't know how much digging you did on the, uh, the DVD that came out. Um, I think Shout Factory put out a, uh, a new collector's edition of it that's got the theatrical and the um, unrated cuts. Um, one of the special features on it was essentially a, uh, a video diary from Andy. And oh. you find out that what he's gone through up to the point that he meets Kenneth. Um, he had a, I think he had a, was a daughter, I believe. And she got infected and he, he pretty much had her, I think she was locked up in one of the rooms, the storerooms or whatever. So like this guy is like, he's been through the ringer and it's actually kind of, it's kind of heart, heart, heartbreaking to like see this guy, like do the things that he was doing. But then, cause he had been by himself after that. And then he gets all excited when he finds the other guys on the, on the top of the mall and he's talking to Kenneth and stuff. And then you're, cause then by then, by that point, you know what's going to happen to him. And you're just like, fuck this, this poor guy can't get a break. He just can't get a break. He's stuck. That sucks. Yeah. I'd like to check that out. I'll see if the DVD, I've got like the original release DVD from Oh four that I borrowed it from my family and my family does not trade up. So they've got just old shit. Yeah, if it's um if it's got like that logo with like it looks like a fiery kind of background and it's just got the title of the movie, that's yeah. probably yeah, yeah, it's it's on there, I think. Cool. Yeah, I'll check that out. Uh that kind of no, that event, Andy's death kind of sets this the end of the movie in motion. They were not planning to leave then, but going to get chips and Nicole fucked up the plan and they had to go back and then Steve wasn't at the door, so they just had to had to book it. And the end of the movie, it does feel a little rushed, but you get why. Like it's, it, you get why it's rushed. Uh, I was laughing my ass off when the uh, Glenn, I think his name was, the church guy, just straight up chainsawed the blonde. Oh. Like just, you know, oh. <laughs> so before that, when they're, when they're going through there, and I mean, because they spent all this time putting these things together i was like they better chainsaw some people damn it like you're 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 promising a lot right now but when steve has to do it and he's just like he's just like has this look on his face like oh i'm getting gooey oh i can't believe i'm doing work oh, i was like ah you fucker like just do something for once you fucking little bitch but yeah like that whole terrible sad exchange where he <laughs> He just saws her in half. I was like, oh my. And they and they went for it too. Like they just they did not give a fuck. I was like, yes, yes. Oh my god. Yeah. It's uh it's Chekhov's chainsaw. Of course, we're gonna get, you know, 
you show a chainsaw in a horror movie, someone's getting sawed. Now he's throwing out film terms. But <laughs> <laughs> um, for me in that scene, it wasn't so much Steve was like lamenting doing work. It was, holy fuck, I'm chainsawing human beings. Like it got real for Steve in, a, in that minute right there. Finally, finally. <laughs> yeah, he'd been pretty glib about this whole thing. And now he's chainsawing people and he's like, fuck, this is, this is life now. Uh, but yeah, that blonde just takes a chainsaw to the chest and just Glenn just keeps going. He doesn't let go. He doesn't turn it off. He's just, ah! <laughs> well, in his defense, he didn't have much control when he started. And once you start, it's not like you can just casually start chainsawing somebody and then be like, oops, sorry. You're kind of just looking at him like, I got to finish this. <laughs> I, I guess I understand that. I mean, <laughs> it's not like he could be like, whoops, I guess we'll patch that up. Now, once you, once you're at halfway through, like you better continue, you know, finish this job or it's going to be a much slower death. Yeah. Yeah. At that point, it's a mercy kill. Oh my God. Who even was that girl? Like she has no development whatsoever. She's just around. She's like Steve's girl or something. One of them. Yeah, one of Steve's know, girls. You know, like by the end of the movie, you saw, you see, um, you see Terry picking up the video camera and you get these little exchanges where you're like, huh, not surprised Steve is one of these guys. Yeah. See his boats and hose music video there. <laughs> Ridiculous. I'm on a boat. <laughs> That like in the end, uh, I like the end credits tuned with the with the music with the uh, like found footage element. I thought that was cool. They come across that like rowboat with a fucking head and a cooler. Like, why? And in what situation is that ever like something that happens? Like even in a zombie movie, like why is there a head and a cooler in a boat? Like, the fuck. I got nothing. I, I can't even try to figure out why that would happen unless it unless it happened to be like dudes were hanging out in the boat and one of them was in one of them was sick and you're just like, ah, I guess we'll try and keep your head for a little while and see what happens. But my thing is always when when you see stuff like that that somehow especially if they if they've got like missing that part of their neck where their vocal cords are it's like how are they still making noise so it's just just it really just pulls me out of it at that point yeah. it didn't need effect but unnecessary <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> and then the end when they get to the island and are immediately swarmed i just assume they all died well yeah duh i mean this movie this movie was definitely never going to cruise to a happy ending because, you know, by, by conventional Hollywood logic, um, Anna should have ended up with, was it Mike? Was that, was yeah, Michael. Anna and Michael should have been together. Terry and Nicole would have made sad, stupid children together. And, you know, but no, this is not to be. Because a lot of the people in this movie, like they just make bad decisions. And I think because because I'm still trying to figure out like what they were trying to say about this movie other than 
we are not prepared for an event like this where shit collapses. Not only are the dead going to come and try and eat us, but we're going to eat each other. I think, I think what it is is that every bad decision in this movie is happens because of a lack of trust in some capacity. So I think really the message is unless we learn to trust each other, we're all going to die when this shit goes down. Yeah. We need to be able to rely on other people in some capacity. I can see that. I could, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and there's plenty of examples of that. I mean, CJ doesn't trust them when they first get there. Um, nobody trusts Michael to carry them through. And Steve is, you can't trust him because he only cares about himself and it winds up fucking getting him in the end. So Andre doesn't trust them to take care of his baby mama. And we see what goes down with that. Just, yeah, you can't isolate yourself. Like, you know, as as it as uh, Simon Pegg said in Shaun of the Dead, the only thing that will redeem mankind is cooperation. <sighs> so yeah, they all died, and then Disturbed got to play over their corpse. Uh, so here are some filmgasm facts. Number one, for the scene where Anna stitches Kenneth's wounds, the director hired a real nurse for the close-ups. She misunderstood the director's directions to go deeper and inadvertently punctured Ving Rhames' skin and stitched the prosthesis to his arm. <laughs> he didn't say anything until after the scene was done filming, and Zack Snyder thought the blood was merely a really good effect. So Ving Rhames is sitting there getting something fucking stitched to his arm, and he's just like, I'll wait till they say cut. <laughs> that is a real actor right there. That's it's somebody who's committed. Committed. God damn, can you imagine? Just look over, the fucking fake arm is now part of your arm. <laughs> God. <laughs> nope, I would have yelled, ouch, motherfucker. <laughs> uh, number two, uh, Heather Langenkamp, who played Nancy in the Nightmare on Elm Street series, was a member of the production crew on this film. That's pretty cool. I did not know that. I saw it's her awesome. name in the credits, and I'm like, there's no way that's the same. But then I'm like, how common a name is Heather Langenkamp? <laughs> so, yeah, it is. It's Nancy. <laughs> nice. And then number three, and this made me laugh so hard. Uh, James Gunn claims he received a massive amount of fan backlash, even death threats, when assigned to this movie. Most of the hate messages claimed, quote, the hack who wrote the Scooby-Doo movies shouldn't be in charge of Dawn of the Dead. Oh my God. If only they knew. Who's laughing now? <laughs> I completely forgot he wrote the Scooby Doo movies. That's, that's beautiful. <sighs> um, I give Dawn of the Dead an eight. It's a surprisingly good remake full of okay characters, great horror violence, and pretty snappy dialogue. I was entertained. Uh, I, I've got to give it a seven. It just, so they're just, um, they're just little bits that I'm just like, it's, it's good. It's a lot better than I, than I thought it was going to be. Um, I just, I just feel like if you're, if you're, and you know, it, it does do its, do its thing. It treats it like its own movie then that it's not, um, not trying to ride the coattails of 
a vastly superior movie in my opinion even though to, to try and compare the two are almost pointless because they, it's like apples and oranges at that point um you know they're, they're they're the same in name only yeah exactly and i know there was a like super low budget remake of day of the dead that came out in like 08 did you do you know anything about that one there have been like three like the sci-fi channel did one um i think netflix came out with one recently um yeah there have been like and they're all they're all like they they just don't get it like that's the thing like they they just they think okay we're gonna slap day of the dead on this and we're gonna have some quasi military angle and people are gonna love it and it's just bad it's just bad the um the most recent one try and i haven't even seen it but just from reading about it they tried to have their own uh version of bub in it and yeah it's called like day of the dead bloodline or something like that i remember seeing the poster for that yeah (sighs) once i uh once I have enough time on my hands and I can get in the proper mindset, i.e. three or four beers deep, I might just subject myself to that, but I'm not going to. Sure. You deserve that kind of punishment. Hey, I'm, I'm look, I have a, I have the approach of method man to, to my, to my life sometimes. Um, And this came from a, a quote from him way back in the day on an episode of cribs. Um, and he's talking about, uh, you know, if you ever, uh, if you ever have people over to your house and they ask you to get a drink for them, drop a couple ice cubes on the floor and put it in their drink. And he's like, and I was like, what, what does he mean? And he's like, you got to get them before they get you. And if they haven't gotten you yet, you're just paying them back for some fucked up shit. They're going to do to you later on. I'm like, all right, fair enough. Spoken like a true philosopher. If anybody is going to give me words of advice on life it's going to be method man so yeah i figure you know I'm, i might as well subject myself to a terrible movie every now and again like a really bad movie that i know i'm not going to like that way i can really enjoy something later on fair enough yeah okay you do you i don't know if i could do that to myself <laughs> but I, I i would also encourage somebody else to watch it with me because that way I can't just sit there and, you know, yell at the, yell at the TV on my own. We all love bad movie night with a, with a friend doing it yourself is just sad. Hey, look, I have kids. All right. The only time I get to spend time with myself is when everybody's asleep. So I don't have a blow up version of me or a, or a cat that, you know, craves my attention. So, you know, I got to have my fun the way I, the you know, when and how I can get it. We, we talked about that when we weren't recording. So the audience has no fucking clue what that means. I love it. Damn it. We did. <laughs> Shit. And eh, whatever. We'll explain oh, the joke boy. later. And if anybody wants to, they can hit me up. Uh, on twitter you can email connor um who knows this might have just inspired me to uh find a good picture of you and print your face out and send you a present oh boy i look forward to that (laughs) 
<laughs> uh, that's all for this week, guys. Thanks for listening. Next Friday is the long-awaited release of A Quiet Place Part 2. So naturally, we are going to be doing the first movie on next week's Filmgasm. When alien creatures that hunt by sound invade and conquer Earth, a small family of survivors must do whatever it takes to survive, including never making a sound for fear of instant attack by these creatures that are everywhere. Don't miss A Quiet Place on next week's Filmgasm, nor Anatomy of a Murder on Oscar Sunday or Army of the Dead on Monday's sneak preview. Until then, remember to head for your nearest shopping mall when the zombie apocalypse happens and you'll be fine. At least until some idiots or assholes fuck it up for everyone. Keep watching movies. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.